By popular demand, Honky Tonk Angels is coming back to Vero Beach, Florida. It only took them 21 years to bring the director back and the show. He is DJ Salisbury. Good morning, sir. How are you? Good morning, Red. How are you? I'm really good. Where are you from originally? I grew up in eastern Kentucky. Eastern Kentucky? Oh, no accent there, though. Oh, well, you know, when I I performed, I was also an actor in my youth, so it behooves one as an actor to sort of like weed out any way for anybody to say, you're from here or you're from there. So... Well, this show should certainly uh, fit in with you being raised in, in, in Kentucky, just, just a little north of Tennessee, Nashville. And Honky Tonk Angels was, of course, the story that you did 21 years ago, and it was at the same theater? Yes, it was. The same theater. I'm uh, lucky to have the same music director again. Really? And the same costume designer again. You've got to be kidding. I don't think they saved the costumes from the last time, did they? they? Actually, there are a few pieces that they saved from 21 years ago, but a lot of them are being rebuilt because we have three new actors. Wow. So you come here so frequently. No, but you actually do. And, uh, you know, I was thinking uh, the, the marketing director, Oscar, here, Oscar Sales, told me that you directed Man of La Mancha. I did. Yes. Oh yes, my I word! It's like uh, I know you know. It's like Peter with Jesus. I'm not worthy to shine your shoes at a much, much smaller, smaller, smaller scale. But that was phenomenal. Thank you, Red. I I love that show so much. It was my third production, not third here, but my first here at Riverside. But I love that show so much. It it's so. I feel like it has the message that really speaks to what we do as theater people. We tell stories to lift people up, and that's exactly what happens in that play. I love that play. It's an amazing what you did with that, and that I just I was blown away by that. And it seems so complicated. And then you have that that the, the set design was oh, like it was gorgeous. Yeah, Michael Schweikart, beautiful set design. Really, like you felt like you were wow. in that dungeon, didn't yes. you? Yeah, really beautiful. Yes. Well, I just want to compliment you. Thank you get five stars from the mayor of the airwaves on that. <laughs> I tell you what, yeah. and obviously you got five stars from the people around here who have invited you back to Riverside Theater uh, to do these. Uh, the show Honky Tonk Angels. Uh, tell us about these three women that decide to leave their hubbies and their jobs and go to Nashville. Yeah, that's exactly it. You meet three women in from various parts of the country, but all have a love of country music and all have the dream of singing and becoming country singers. So uh, they leave their various uh, locations and happen to meet as they're traveling to Nashville on a bus. And on that bus, they sing a little something together and determine that they should become a girl group. Oh. So that's, that's act one. And then in act two, you see them as the girl group at the honky-tonk. Do they, actually, do they make it or no? Well, I shouldn't no, tell you the tell, yeah. story, Red. You know Stand really by your oh, man. Yeah, that's, in there. that's in there, but it's actually uh, done with a, a different comic take. Oh. Yeah, so there's some surprises. It's, the songs will be very familiar, but somehow, uh, some in some instances, how the context has changed what the song means, like Stand By Your Man. It's very funny. A friend it's of mine in Nashville was friends with Curly Putnam, who wrote the song Stand By wow. Your Man. And, of course, then we have the other song uh, that was written for Nancy uh, Sinatra, These uh-huh. Boots Are Made oh, For yeah, Walking, which was a tremendous hit back in the 60s yeah, or 70s. it's a great number. It's a great it number. Is. Funny, again, um, there's a lot of comedy in the show. It's not just the great songs, but also a lot lot of comedy. Delta Dawn, 9 to 5 by uh, uh, Dolly Parton. Dolly Nine Parton. To, yeah. 
And then Amazing Grace, obligatory oh, yes. if you're in Nashville. Harper Valley PTA, great song. This is going to mm-hmm. be great. So uh, you're the choreographer as well. Yes, I am. It doesn't have a lot of dance. I mean, it's three women. There are just the three women. There is some clogging because there's country music, so it can have a little clog. But it's, uh, there's just mostly movement. Uh, and uh, yeah, and these these three women, we did do a dance com- combination at the audition, and they're all very capable, very skilled people. And people don't might not remember, but DJ Salisbury Salisbury did also uh, Poodleful, uh, which was written by a local lady. Uh, yes, yes, Cynthia Bardis. She wrote the book on which the musical, uh, the children's musical, was based. And Ken Clifton and I worked together to craft Poodleful, the musical, based upon Pansy at the Palace, which was the well, name of the book. You did a great job with that, too. Thank I was in the you. audience for that. Oh, so, so you got, you got, a, you got a fan here. Um, I, want to, I want to know more about uh, DJ uh, uh, Salisbury, though. And it's spelled, by the way, S-A-L-I-S-B-U-R-Y. Mm-hmm. And DJ, so uh, a young boy from uh, Kentucky, how did you get the, uh, how did you get bitten by showbiz? Oh, my goodness. Well, you know, I was always interested. I had puppets as a child, and puppets were my actors. So I was staging shows for my puppet actors well, <laughs> as a child because I was kind of a, a shy child, an introvert. Yeah. And then uh, I went to school in St. Louis to uh, study pre- a pre-med program, uh, Washington University in St. Louis, because I had determined I was going to be an animal doctor, a veterinarian, mm-hmm. since Young childhood, that's what I thought I would be. And by the way, in his hands right now, he has his puppy dog. <laughs> I do. Tell us about your puppy dog. Dewey. Dewey's a great dog. He's a great, he's a Brussels Griffon. He's the fourth dog of that breed that I've had, and I just love the breed. And he, they're just wonderful dogs. And he's about one years of age, he's and one. he's got those big, huge brown puppy dog eyes. Yeah. He's and very, very friendly, by the way. Yeah, he's a sweetheart. He's a cutie. So at Washington University, um, I was in my pre med program, and the Dance teacher and the acting teacher, those were my electives. They said, hmm, you might consider shifting your, your, your major. I said, okay. And I thought, well, I could always go back to school to become a veterinarian, but why not see what's available to me in, in the entertainment industry? And I haven't looked back. You'd be surprised how many people are called out of medicine or, uh, for instance, like Simon and Garfunkel. Uh, I forget which one was studying to be an attorney at law. Amazing. I remember there was a group when I, I used to work at Albany Medical Center as a security guard when I was 19, 20 years of age. And a lot of those doctors were also musicians. Yeah, yeah it, it's true. And, you know, you sometimes just don't know until you get into your young 20s what your calling is. And that was true for me. Are you happy that it went this way? I'm so happy that it went this way. Why? I, I, well, Rhett, I really feel, and this, sound, this may sound like an arrogant or a braggadocious kind of statement, but I, I feel like I'm on the earth to do what I'm doing. I feel like this is what I'm here to do. Uh, so it's a bit of a spiritual thought, actually, that I, this is why I'm here, is to tell stories on stage. I believe the good Lord's involved in everything we do. I mean, I even think the Beatles were handpicked by God. Most people don't realize they were the George, Paul, and John were all super students put into higher specialist classes, you know. They were brilliant. They were short in uh, stature. I've been with one of them. And uh, so I realize they're all very modest and humble if you scrutinize the old videos. And I think uh, because of that, they were exalted. But I think they really... What a blessing in the yeah. innovation, right? Yeah. Oh, the Beatles. Amazing. T- complete innovation. Changed music forever. Who's your favorite 
playwright, and I don't, and I don't want to necessarily nail you down, yeah. but if you were to pick one, two, or three together. The first one I would pick uh, is Terrence McNally, primarily because he, I feel like he was one of the few who was equally skilled at writing plays and musicals. Because what did the, he write that we would know of? I know The Full Monty is a musical that he wrote. Uh, he wrote Ragtime. Oh. Yeah, and his his writing for musicals is it's a difficult uh, genre because you have to be very economical with your words because songs music takes up so much of the space in a musical. So the person writing the book, which is what they call the play of a musical, has to be very economical mm-hmm. and to get a lot of information in in few words, but make it not feel like they're getting a lot of information in. And he now, was masterful. Now, ragtime, I actually got to meet James Cagney who made the movie. Uh-huh. He was 84 at the time. I was told, I was in Poughkeepsie, New York, told that he lived in Millbrook, went over there with my parents. Amazing. And I said, he's behind us, he's behind huh? us. What are the chances? Uh, pull over, pull over to my father. Follow that car. We followed him. The lady gets on and said, you're following us. I said, yes, but nobody else in the car wants to meet him, but I want to make it in show business. Can I meet him? Oh. So she brings me up. He, he agrees, and bring, they bring me up to the window, and he goes, I said, Mr. Cagney, I want to make it in show business. He says, Josh, make up your mind. You're going to quit. And that's when you'll make it. Ha, ha, ha. Stick to it, kiddo. Stick to it. He called me kiddo just like in the movies. And then she comes up from the house and says he wants to give you a part in his next motion picture. He died two months later. Oh, Rhett. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. But... Even the idea that he was going to give you a part oh, is a blessing, right? That's yeah. a beautiful thing. And that he was a sweetheart running his farm up there. But, um, yeah, that, uh, Right Time was, was a great show. Great show. And uh, so, so you mentioned this fellow as number one. Who would be number two or three? Oh, my goodness. Well, I've, of course, I love Oscar Wilde for his wit and wisdom. That yeah. was a much earlier. What uh, a genius. Yeah, genius. Exactly. Uh, and then, you know, I could go down the list, but uh, there's just so many. I feel like I... I love theater so much that I'm influenced by so many. It's hard to pick out the few. Terrence McNally is one I, I immediately point to because of his ability in both straight plays and musicals, and I, I revere that. I think that's a very specialized thing. But there are so many that I just adore and have um, always look forward to revisiting plays that I already know because they seem they become friends. Now you've been you've done a whole bunch of uh, plays of Full Monty, Ragtime, of course, the Will Rogers Follies. I saw that West Side Story, great show. Uh, the Mystery of Edwin Drood, I did not see. The Ain't Must Behave, and I saw La Cage of Follies. Yeah. Uh, you've really done the gamut here. Uh, do do you live in New York City now? I don't. I moved to Orlando in 2018. Really? Yeah, I was a little weary of winter, like so many people become, <laughs> and. Uh, uh, I had started working regionally, doing shows all over the country, and thought, well, I don't have to stay in New York, and uh, winters are hard. So I chose Orlando because my family moved there while I was still going to college. So it was sort of my second hometown. So I knew it. I like it. It's uh, Central Florida. I like the uh, overall feel of of Central Florida. I uh, didn't really want to be on a coast because I have a fear of hurricanes. <laughs> so um, that's what I chose to do, and that was in 2018, and I don't regret it one bit. I love being down here. I was just in New York this week, so I fly up anytime I want to. Uh, happened to go to the New York Pops Gala that was honoring Barry Manilow, oh. and I was telling Alan, artistic director Alan, that I saw Melissa Manchester, Dionne Warwick, and Barry Manilow sing at Carnegie Hall. Oh, my 
I mean, that's astounding. Legends. Yeah. Yeah. Legends. Really, really. Um, so if you were to say a DJ Salisbury, uh, director, choreographer of this new show coming to Vero Beach, which you directed and choreographed uh, 21 years ago, Honky Tonk Angels, uh, in regard to some, some young person that might be listening, what are the qualities, what are the giftings that are necessary uh, that you spotted in yourself or someone saw in you early on? It, for me specifically or for... Yeah. Uh, um, well, uh, oh, golly, back to the story of the, my teachers in college, I think they just saw that I was enthusiastic about the work. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's hard to say. For example, I would say... When you see somebody with talent, it's ineffable. Like, where does it come from? Who knows? But I saw, for example, the woman playing Darlene in Honky Tonk Angels. She sent a video for a production of Next to Normal that I directed last uh, January, a year ago. She sent a video from rural Tennessee. And I saw this video and I thought, she's perfect for this show that I was doing. And she was playing a character who was 16 years old. She was 16 at the time. Wow. And in, then in the fall, I was doing a production of Gypsy. She sent another video and said, I'd like to be considered for Gypsy. I cast her as Dainty June in Gypsy. And so now this is the third uh, show we'll be doing in the space of a year because she's just so talented. And I, I see her and I go like, yes, I want you on stage. I want to see you on stage. It's that ineffable, that unnameable thing that's just called talent. Now, Clive Davis, the golden ears in the record industry, uh, now in his 90s, uh, he, a matter of fact, he found uh, your Barry Manilow and Melissa yeah. Manchester mm-hmm. and Whitney Houston, etc. cetera. Uh, he said, talent is rare, but more rare is talent that recognizes talent. Do you agree? I would agree, yeah. Because, yeah, well, uh, as you said, he was a, a star maker. Yeah. So it takes, it takes a special something to say that's the person that will actually go forward and have a career. Not just star, but have a career. Because there's, there's a distinction. Somebody can be a star for a minute, yeah. and then you forget about them. Yeah. But to have a career... That kind of talent, it, that takes a special someone to recognize. I just read that Mel Gibson was hitchhiking one day in California, what? and this guy picks him up. The guy's going to an audition for a movie, and the lady's there and said, you know, you ought to come back next week. We're looking for extras. So he goes back a week later, and they give him one of the leading Isn't roles. that amazing? But that's sometimes how it happens. Yeah, those are the stories. Uh, Betty Buckley, the famous Betty Buckley musical theater actor, she got off the bus uh, from Texas Back in the 70s, her friend said, oh, they're seeing people for this new show on Broadway. Uh, and this is the last day. It was a Friday. She went over. She was the last person to be seen. Literally got off the bus from Texas. The last person to be seen and was cast in a Broadway show as one of the only, only two women in the show. She was in 1776. And, I mean, these are the things God's that happen. God's hand. Yeah, God's hand and God's talent. The talent that she had was unmistakable. And, again, she's one that's had a career for 40-plus years. Okay, well, I want to know, finally, what's the appeal, DJ, in this? I go and see one of your plays, like I saw um, the recent one. What was the one we were La talking Mancha. La Mancha. Yeah. And so it's spectacular, all the effort that goes into it that night. Mm-hmm. Now, I know there'll never be that lady sitting in the front row in red. There'll never be that person right. to the left over there that <laughs> cackles quite like that. And, you know, and so it's, it has its own personality. But it's like a Picasso. And then at the end of the night, the rain comes and just washes mm-hmm. all the paint off the canvas. Yeah, so, you know, it's like, it's like living for the moment. It's very yes. sacred between the audience and the performer. Yes, it is. And I have uh, like I like the thought that 
as a director, choreographer, and writer, what we do is more permanent. Um, it's like you, you're sculpting something that, mm-hmm. that is a thing that exists, whereas performance is ephemeral. It only happens in the moment and yes. is gone forever, which makes it beautiful because it is only there at that moment for that time, and then it's gone forever. But uh, that's maybe why I switched over from performing, because I like building things. And I feel like as a director and a writer, you're building a thing that will go on even after the performance. You know what's nice about being a talk host? I get to fawn all over you. And I will tell you, (laughs) no, no, and and I tell you why. Because I go up and I secretly watch some of the shows being done. I've probably seen you at work. And they have all these desks all over. And I go, and you're the guy. You're the top guy. (laughs) How do you possibly keep up with that and also a lot of the choreography or a lot of the different things they do mm-hmm. some of them are copywritten and you're not allowed to do exactly what was on broadway right so That's you right. have to have your creative glasses on yes. at all times for every character for every yeah. scene yeah yeah that's absolutely true but it's not it's not so daunting as you might think once you get to that point where you see the tables in the theater and we're mm-hmm. doing technical rehearsals because the team has been together for some time either by meetings or actually in the process and you get everybody on the same page. That's the big job of the director. Get everybody on the same page about the vision for the show. And then you trust them to do to fulfill that vision. So there's, it's not so stressful for me in the technical process of getting the show up you know, days before the audiences come in because I trust my team. Mm-hmm. Gracie Allen was brilliant, right, with yeah. uh, George Burns. Yes. Would you, uh, when, I did, when I was in college, I did a, the... Um, Oh, the Bowery Boys. And I remember the smartest kid in the class played the dumbest kid in the mm-hmm. show. Mm-hmm. Would you agree that it takes the smartest person in the group to play the dumbest plausibly or not plausibly or with credibility? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it's uh, often said that uh, the best, the people that can pretend to be bad singers have to be great singers. Similar. Okay, we've been talking with DJ Salisbury, and he is the director and choreographer of Honky Tonk Angels. Is there one last thing you'd say to the audience of why they should see this show? Great music, great uh, characters that you're going to fall in love with. Okay, three ladies decide to leave hubby, boss, and daddy and board a bus headed for Nashville to pursue their dream of becoming country singers. May 30th through June 18th, Honky Tonk Angels at the Riverside Theater. The phone number is 772-231-6990 or simply log on to buy your tickets at www.riversidetheater.com. Thank you very much. I'm honored that you spent this time with me, DJ. I've really enjoyed it, Red. Thank you. Okay.